Uh, well, uh, I just demonstrated my uh, my proficiency at doing computers, which remind, reminds me, I think, of, uh, of of something it'd be fun to talk about. Not instead of weather or mm-hmm. food or whatever. What what Richard? What is your deal with upgrades? Do you upgrade everything? Computer software, not computer wise, but software wise, the minute it comes out, or are you like, whoa, I got to put the brakes on this so I can figure out if it's good, how it works, or are you just like mm. instant upgrade guy? Yeah, first I thought you were going to think about food. Like, do I get the larger French fry or do uh-huh. I do the regular size? That's a different upgrade. Um, I'm usually upgrade right away person and feel instant wave of regret when mm. things stop working, but I don't, I don't learn. So yeah. I do upgrade. How about you? Uh, I think I upgrade all the time as soon as mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. Cause in fact, I wanted to upgrade to, uh, Catalina here on the desktop, but right. our, our, whatever our, 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 our fierce virus control policy thing wouldn't let me, <laughs> which, which I, I it's, oh, it's called Sentinel one. Is that, mm-hmm. is that a security risk? If you tell people which Sentinel you use, we'll scrub it. Yeah, okay, that sounds podcast. Good. Yeah, they have this big. They have a big ad in Skipple where there's this. Uh, there's this archer, and she has like some high tech cyber bow, like you know some compound mm. bow or whatever. And I guess the idea is it's going to uh, shoot your updates like Catalina before they can get installed in your machine. But yeah, I update stuff as as soon as possible because I figure you know it's it must be good if they send you an think update. So. What about the uh, what about the browser? Because that's the one thing. Like, I'll get that Chrome notification for about oh, three weeks. Yeah. It won't click upgrade because I'm scared it's going to blow away all my Windows. So oh, that's the only yeah. thing I upgrade very slowly. Yeah. So for some reason, no, no, I just, I just upgrade all the things as, mm. as soon as possible. Although, so wait, you're telling me you're one of these like you keep a bunch of tabs open as a way to navigate life, persons? I mean, I usually I, I'm not you know like our boss Ian who always has like about four four hundred tabs open. I only have at most like ten, but there's certain things I just I'm not going to remember what I had open a week ago. Mm, I, see. I just wait until I get to them. So that that makes sense. Okay. Well, well, well. Speaking of opening tabs, you want to introduce yourself, guest? Oh yes. Uh, my name is Demetrius Robinson. I'm a software engineer. We're, we have a little bit of news as always to talk about. Mm-hmm. Feel free to uh, jump in or go over yeah. things we've okay. worked out, and then and then we'll uh, we'll come back for a more extensive uh, introduction and uh, for a little chat. But so first up, I think I think there was uh, there was KubeCon last week. Is that the right way to pronounce it? KubeCon. <laughs> I, I'm glad you paused to stop there. I think it's KubeCon, or yeah, as our, our new, upcoming new boss says, KubaCon. So KubaCon, that's good. That's, that's what you Pat likes to say. Yeah. That's like you cross the KubaCon, and, yeah. uh, and that's a big moment. Sounds legit. It. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, there was a lot of Caesars, uh, and it, it's a lot of Augustuses, too. It's mm-hmm. hard to separate them. I get, I get mixed up. I was looking them up the other day, and I think the one that we all think of is Augustus, if I remember, the one that... Uh, Across the the Kubicon. I'll have to go verify that. Anyways, uh, we we had a new version of the the uh, the pivotal uh, uh, container service uh, shipping PKS one point six. It mm-hmm. looks like, among other things, as one would uh, sort of suspect, there's some integration with Ta- Tanzu Mission Control. Tanzu, Tanzu. I can. We're having to have a whole podcast how to pronounce things. <laughs> Uh, which essentially, uh, I, I haven't, I haven't actually like looked at a demo of it, but, uh, reading over the things and poking at it, you know, it essentially yeah. means you have the, the one pane of glass 
I don't think people say moms anymore. Uh, but, you know, it, it gives you a, a single way of uh, managing all your various Kubernetes things. But uh, what, what else is in this, this version? Yeah, as you mentioned, there's that first integration with mission control. So being able to provision and manage clusters is great. There's a, a new management user interface for kind of day two stuff. But also, I think what's interesting is it supports uh, Kubernetes 115, which if you kind of follow industry-wise, it's, it's been trickier getting the latest supported version kind of in your platform, even for public clouds. If you look at the default versions that most public clouds support, it's like 113 is the default. So it's interesting to watch how, you know, a survey came out last week. I saw the new stack reporting on it that most people are at least N minus two on the version of Kubernetes they're running. So it's hard to keep oh, that's up. Right. And so that's fair, but it also is going to be up to your platform provider to help you keep up. If your platform provider keeps encouraging you to use a two or three version old version, that guess what? That's what you're going to use. So 115, we're one of the only platforms that has that as a commercially supported offering. Exciting. And, uh, and I, you know, there's enhancements to uh, existing stuff in there as well, sure. which, which is nice. And uh, I guess I guess people will, it, it'd be interesting. I, I remember, was that like the Datadog Kubernetes thing? I forget which survey it was, it was that yeah. uh, was going over the version people run. It'd be fun to see what version of PKS people run, how many far, I guess they wouldn't be ahead. They would only be back. Uh, that would be a good a good comparison. <laughs> it would be, and then also, uh, you know, I think I think we, we there's uh, some some build services uh, updates or or there's there's a very long post I think uh, in a good way, but posted mm-hmm. kind of in the context of uh, the the KubeCon uh, last week, also about uh, Kubernetes. But there's kind of an overview of what the I don't know the philosophy, if you will, of the build service was and. There's the usual thing that that we've talked about in the pivotal world for a while, where it uh, because you separate out the operating system from building the container, it'll of mm-hmm. course does that for you and manages that. But it does have a nice kind of way of uh, you know having that that pipeline wrapped around of the 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 strategy of building container based things again, which is just you know use uh, whether it's the cloud native build packs or uh, other ways of like marking it up basically saying, here's the code that I have and just build the container for me and also put it in a registry, whatever way you might want to do it. But I think that blog post is a nice overview of uh, here's why you would use the build service and kind of how it strategizes out building things for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's another milestone coming up soon, which is why we put that blog post out. But you know, even more than building, which there are obviously a handful of ways you can build containers today, I think the value probably the most of the service is the update, which is... Now that you've got all these containers built, how do you patch all the different things that keep changing all the time from the OS to the app server to your code? And so having something that's constantly looking for kind of breaking changes anywhere in that container stack and then updating that container image seems like a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you can get to the point in a good way where uh, a patch and a release are the same sort of thing, Mm. you know, kind of uh, stress level wise. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And and, and that the stress level is low, essentially. (laughs) Not uh, not necessarily high, uh, and then and then you know uh, also I think there's uh, it's the 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 PAS for Kubernetes is still like in in beta or alpha or something right is we just have a an update of how we run what we used to call Pivotal Cloud Foundry and now Pivotal Platform on top of Kubernetes. Yeah, it was a good post as well. Again, some other big milestones coming up, but bringing that experience which everyone keeps seemingly try to create on. Kubernetes, right? That's a great foundation. But then how do you build these sort of application level deployment APIs on top of it? And everyone keeps trying to do that. We've already kind of had that with what we have with PAS. So bringing that to Kubernetes, bringing that proven experience, 
again, it seems like it's going to solve a big problem. We're getting pretty close to some major milestones there. Yeah, it, it, it would be nice. And there's, there's my, I think one of my favorite uh, technical content innovations of the past two or three years, there's, there's animated GIFs that are like little demos. I think whoever, whoever came up with that idea, however long ago. That's good, a big win. Thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Better, better than a little embedded video. I think also, uh, I think maybe in that post, uh, I am the featured tweet at the top, which was a little shocking at first. I was like, who, who is that? Oh, that's me. <laughs> that's <you. laughs> yeah. We had to throw a little nod at you. So I, you I was, I was thinking, you know, it would be, it would be devilish fun to like change my, my mm. Twitter avatar to something. Although I don't really know what you would change it to. That would be good or bad or interesting. It's, it's a, uh, I wonder if that ever happens to people. Yeah, I think people do do that. So you just change your 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 like screen name to something like you know PayPal me at and like put your PayPal address in there. Oh, just something. there you go. Right? There you you've go. got to somehow troll us or uh, right. So what, what's the now now? Last I checked, you work in 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 marketing, Richard. What's what's like the <laughs> what's like the deal with embedded tweets? Is it is it like is it just like cool or is there like some strategy for it? Like what uh, I. I what, why does that like, happen? Not that it shouldn't. Like, I just like, I don't know. Um, I, I, I went to college back in the, the late 90s, so they didn't cover that in our Strunk and White, uh, how it fits in there. So what's, I don't know. What's the like, why do we it? use them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it shows that there's an active conversation and it's a proof point that isn't like, hey, jump off the site and go read this long article. And so, so many people still do that, right? Like, hey, to read more, look, click here. It's like, oh, now I'm kicking you off the site and you might never come back. But here's like a succinct 280 character thing that, kind of proves yeah. that point by someone else okay yeah yeah okay so that that makes sense so it's a it's a good quote and like you're saying that's there's um it's not just us like you know typing into a black hole there's mm-hmm. there's there's other people going in that okay that makes sense i like that all right and then uh and then also there's a uh, uh there's a couple of other news items mm-hmm. there's uh confluent has a a a, a new driver I have to confess, I have not read this news. So why don't you tell us about it, Richard? Yeah, they did the update last week to uh, KSQL DB. So they have something called KSQL for kind of SQL queries on crossed event streams. And so this new version, which actually for them warranted an actual product name to KSQL DB, is actually a, an event database for kind of storing materialized views on the event stream and letting you do things like query that set of things. So, hey, what's the state of this? particular set of information, this customer record, this order, or again, you already had these sort of push queries that said, Hey, let me know when the longitude latitude of this Uber driver changes, send Mm. me that. So kind of a push based query. So interesting stuff. They just keep blurring the lines, I think in a good way, but frankly, I think for a lot of people, it's going to confuse for a little while. They're kind of changing the nature of what we think of as a database, which Kafka always did that since a, look, it's a write only or append only distributed event log. So it feels like an inside out database where I'm not looking at columns and rows of like, here's the current state of things. I'm looking at the history of how I got to that thing. And yeah. so it's a powerful concept. It's just for people used to, here's my Postgres SQL server database. And it just tells me, you know, Cote's employee record versus here's the stream of everything since we hired him. That's just different. And so even this, where you have again, this, this kind of different database concept I think it's all great stuff. I think we're moving the conversation forward. It'll be interesting to see how people used to the current adopt and think about this new model. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think as, as I'm sure you've seen every time there's a new uh, data base and not in the database sense, but data Mm -hmm. pool, uh, eventually you put SQL around it. 
Exactly. <laughs> you know, and that reminds me, I don't know if I ever complained about this, but it was always shocking to me that like people don't use SQL against Excel. Like, I, I think there's some like little avenues mm. to do it here and there, but it seems like, uh, I mean, it's already tables, right? It's pretty it, like it would be nice to just run SQL against Excel sometimes rather than because, you know, the whole I never figured out the way that the Excel programming model like thinks like it's very strange. Like if you, you know, when you make a pivot table and other things like that, the way that I don't know, the way all that stuff is uh, it's strategy, so to speak, is bizarre. Yeah, not, I'm not a power user. I'm sure some of our listeners will say like they know all the, the different tools and functions and ways to program a spreadsheet. I'm sure there's some admin out there who just can run laps around both of us. Oh, but now, yeah. I've never become a hardcore Excel geek. I've never totally unlocked the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, all you have to do is go get an MBA and uh, <laughs> work work in corporate development for a while, and you'll be really good at, as they say, uh, arts and crafts, do, doing good spreadsheets. Yeah, uh, I'm just PowerPoint now. Yeah, like, see, the first lesson one will be like, if you know what chart you want to make, here's how to enter the data. Like, mm. make this the row and make this the column would be a fun, a fun uh, lesson. And then finally, uh, Google Cloud Run is now... Uh, has a, has general availability. It's uh, it is basically their their serverless environment. I, have you have you like poked around at that? What what a uh, yeah a little bit. I mean, it's powered by Knative, which you know isn't itself one o yet. So I mean, good for good for Google for shipping a one o service on a point nine foundation, which some people do, of course. Uh, but that's good, right? It's the first realization of Knative as a commercial service. So it's kind of you know serverless but containerized serverless. I don't know. For me, there's it'll be interesting watching for the next year or so, and obviously more of. Are we going to see a try to return to more simplified abstractions now that there just seems to be so much complexity out there? Do things like this? Do things like obviously the things we keep doing with PaaS for Kate? Are these other even PaaS like services out there? And you know, just some of these things that are trying to hide some of the underlying complexity. Google mm. Cloud Run tries to do that. You know, Microsoft's doing that with the Azure Spring Cloud to kind of hide plumbing guts and just help you focus on spring apps. I think we haven't hit the trough yet of over complexity. I think we're still, still rushing towards it, but I'm actually trying to look to see where do we start coming out of that and focus back on just kind of productivity versus necessarily all this extensibility we have right now. Mm. Yeah. What, what's, what's your sense of the, uh, the, the either maturity or the state of materialization and reality of like serverless and functional programming. I asked this kind of like, I don't know, two thirds jokingly on my other podcast last week. It's kind of saying I haven't really heard a lot about serverless recently, but you know, maybe I just got my head in the wrong hole, but like, is that a, how's that whole serverless thing going? Is that working out? <laughs> I mean, look, there's going to be a huge set of stuff at reInvent focused on it again. I'm sure there'll be more crazy announcements. I don't know if it's, it's crossed the chasm, if you will, yet. It still seems like Kubernetes potentially drowned it out temporarily uh, because that's much more comfortable for most people is it's a computing environment. It takes a lot of stuff I already have. It's not forcing yeah. me to re-architect and adopt all these managed services and stateless stuff. But um, at the same time though, you're watching, I mean, today, this morning, actually uh, Pivotal, we updated the Spring Framework with functional programming and Spring Cloud Stream. So again, we're kind of bringing those paradigms to other things, which may be where some of this stuff ends up versus just, yeah. I go to some function as a service environment I decompose a perfectly fine working app into 40 functions and a message broker and call it a day. I don't know if that's where we're going or if instead it's going to continue to be this push to managed services, managed services that have functions as triggers to maybe connect systems together. But I don't think we're going to end up where we're all just turning everything into compute functions and mm. that's the end state. That doesn't seem like that's the future. 
Yeah, that's an interesting uh, divide there that kind of, as you're saying, it, it could just be a programming model, not like a service. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I think the same people have been saying the same lately I've seen about AI and ML. Like, am I going to have all these standalone machine learning AI services or does it just get infused into more of my stuff? Where yeah, I'm not yeah. opting into AI, it just it's there in my distributed system, or it's there in my spreadsheet, or it's there in my whatever. Maybe I don't really think about coding a ton of functions. I just think about building all these little hooks on my workday thing, or huh. Salesforce thing, or whatever thing. Maybe we'll see. Put the emails on all the things. That's, that sounds <laughs> right. great. Well, well, guest, why don't you uh, give yourself a, a a bit of a longer introduction? What do you what do you do around here? All right. Well, uh, like I said, my name is Demetrius Robinson. Currently, I'm a software engineer for Pivotal Lab. Uh, we do consulting work in uh, using an agile methodology. And that's about it about me right now. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us for this chat. You're, uh, you're someone I, I met a, a little while ago. I thought you had a cool story and inspiring story. So that'd be fun to uh, pick your brain a little bit. So how old were you when you started programming? When's the first time you really started slinging code? Uh, the first time I started programming, I believe I was like 14 or 15. I actually started with Visual Basic, believe it or not, uh, for 2D game development. Mm-hmm. And like a couple, like a little while after that, I sort of like fell off of programming and I took a break for a while. Yeah. So why did you like Visual Basic up front? Like, did it appeal to you in a certain way, just from a simplicity perspective? I mean, frankly, that's the first thing I really started even using intensely to JavaScript early, but then Visual Basic. Why, why did it appeal to you? Uh, man, uh, honestly, the ORPG community, like the online role-playing game community, hmm. uh, there were so many games and like everyone was writing like uh, ORPG engines and Visual Basic and there was a lot of games coming out. And there was a big community, so I felt like it, it was a good place to learn, and everyone was so supportive and helpful with each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but you started, so it's out, but you started coding because you like, you know, game development. Like, there was a reason, I guess, behind you weren't just tinkering. You actually were, you were oh, yeah, building no, something that was fun. I was into games, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you mentioned you kind of took a break from programming for a decade or so. Can you tell us why? Oh, yeah. So I uh, started programming Visual Basic. I took a little break off. And then in 2007, I was actually arrested. And mm-hmm. I spent a couple months in, in county jail. And then uh, in early 2008, I was actually sentenced to 12 years in state prison. So that usually puts a crimp, I guess, on initially on programming goals there. But then something changed there. So, so you came across the... Yeah, that kind of messes with your plans. So, but you came across the program you were telling me about with, I think it's called, it's called Last Mile. How did you come across that? And how far in to your sentence did you, did you come across that? Oh, wow. Let's see. About, I want to say about nine years into my sentence, uh, mm-hmm. like in prison, they do a lot of transfers. You know, you, uh, you're not really in control of where you live. And actually, my security level was getting lowered. So I was going to a lower level. So they moved me to a new institution. And when you do that, you have these things called like orientation. So like when you start a new job, but in this case, you're not allowed to do anything until you see a committee. It usually takes like a week or two. So during my my time to see committee, I'm sitting there and I'm waiting and I look up 
And there was a poster for this program called The, the Last Mile. And when I read the poster, I just, I just couldn't believe it. The reason I couldn't believe it is because it said that it caught inmates caught a code. Like, uh, they were using JavaScript to do web, uh, web development. And I was just like, wait a minute. They were teaching us how to code in prison. I was like, wait, prisoners, you know? I, I just couldn't believe it because they were doing something that I thought was, was pretty cool. Yeah, that's amazing. So you grabbed the flyer, you took the information, or once you got through that orientation, you got, got into the program, right? Did you have to apply? Did you have to prove that you've coded before? Or they would take anybody who had interest in that? Oh, actually, there's, a, there's like a weeding process for the last mm-hmm. mile. Uh, there's a few requirements. Like at the time, I mentioned that I dropped, lower, uh, dropped to a lower custody level. Uh, that typically means like I've been out of trouble for a while. And with last mile, you have to not have been in any trouble within the last 12 months. Uh, you have to, they prefer like college experience. You don't need a college degree. Just taking like a little classes to sort of get you in the hang of like the intensive work, you know, that you got to put in. And like once you're in the program, like you, well, you actually do have to interview. You do like problems, you sit down with someone and interview with them. If they accept you, you're in the program. But at the same time, like if you get in trouble while you're in the program at any time, like you're automatically kicked out. And, and so like what a, is, is it like a daily or like what, what do you, what do you actually do in, in the class? Like I'm, I'm, oh, uh, yeah. so, I, I'm, I'm curious. Was, and, and then also we'll have to return to role playing games at some point. That that sounded fascinating, oh, nice. but, <laughs> but but uh, yeah. What, what's what are what's what are the classes like? All right. So the last mile, they have a couple tracks, and the tracks are approximately like six months long. So in track one, you focus on uh, sort of like front end web development, so HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Uh, we we have a curriculum that you can work on. It's Monday through Friday. So you go to class uh, after breakfast in the morning. There's typically in class for like the afternoon. And uh, that's track one. When you get into track two, you sort of move to uh, the back end and get into post-track uh, development, uh, utilizing Node.js, uh, like MySQL, uh, Python on the back end, uh, and things like that. And in addition to your coursework, there's actually like a mountain of information on the computers because uh, we are incarcerated in the last mile. Or when we don't have access to the internet, so they just basically put a bunch of stuff on a server, like a local server, and then we utilize it from there. But in addition to the coursework, you can learn like all types of things. Like I was doing PhD and a few other things on my own that wasn't necessarily on our curriculum. And and so like, what kind of apps did you work on? Oh, like. <laughs> okay, me, I work on games. So, <laughs> uh, I, I, me and myself, I did like uh, Space Invaders clone and like other little games. I did like, oh, nice. on runners because like back then, like with Visual Basic, I found out that like you actually utilize a lot of a language if you build games because games are like encompassed so much that you pretty much get to touch all types or well, all parts of a language when you build like say a 2d game for instance oh yeah, like, i see i see you mean you mean all parts of a like like yep. the programming language flex all oh, the yeah, language. The programming language. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you know i i never really like uh, uh programmed anything that was graphical and it always and kind of to your point like it it always made actual like 
creating pixels on the screen a strange oddity for me, which uh, is too bad. But I guess, I guess you know, obviously doing uh, game programming, it's nice to have visual things uh, moving around. Let me, uh, I want to back up because you mentioned kind of just in passing there, you know, being offline for most of this. You're not just jumping on Stack Overflow. You're not just trolling Google to look for results. You're not just jumping in a group saying, hey, I can't figure this out. So how do you think that impacted how you learned? Well, you just had an offline data set and whatever was in there, I think you had mentioned to me that that's usually you know, months or even a year or so kind of a, of a cache of Stack yeah. Overflow questions and answers. But how does not having that outlet change how you learn, whether how you have to learn from other people or trial and error. Can you tell us about that? Oh, yes. It uh, definitely makes for interesting learning because we would have, like, say, tutorials or things or maybe on Stack Overflow we find because we're looking up answers and it mentions, like, a specific technology or a specific uh, NPM module and we don't have it. Like, when we do NPM as well, we, we had a, a local repository of node modules and we wouldn't be able to use it. So we have to basically like try things out until it works and like figure figure stuff out. So it was really interesting, uh, especially since like in the beginning of the last month program, like we didn't even have computers for our first month. Like we had to go over uh, this HTML CSS book and like literally write all our code by hand for like a whole month until we got our computers. And then like we were able to see whether the stuff that we've been writing actually makes sense, like, or how it looks. Wow, you had your code stuff by hand? That's, huh. Yes. <laughs> and did, did you have to, like, uh, you know, indent it correctly and everything, even though you were doing it by hand? That must have been... Oh, yes. Have been. We, uh, yes, we indented it and all that. And then, like, uh, we did a group project, and we had to recreate this one fast food restaurant website, and we all did it by hand, like, in teams of four. And then they gave every team a computer, and then we input it. They're like, oh, no, don't change nothing. Put the HTML, the CSS, put it all out there, and see if it looks like we thought it was going to look. And it was, it was some interesting website. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but that kind of discipline, it's got to be, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm awful about a copy-paste developing at this point because it's like, oh, it's quicker. Let me, I found this snippet that's good enough. And so, but you don't always learn. You know, I don't think you as deeply learn the syntax. You don't learn those things. So. I mean, has that changed I me mean, now that we're, we'll, we'll go back to kind of where, how you got to where you are right now, but has that even today, like, do you code any differently you think because of that experience? Have you found yourself kind of how you even pick up things now? Do you immediately go to the online source? Do you find yourself doing trial and error first? How, how, did, how did you think that that impacted how you do things today? Uh, I think it impacted, yeah, I think it definitely did impact how I do things today. Uh, believe it or not, like, I actually still do write down code sometimes. Like, I have a game of notebooks right here at my house, and I just constantly write notes. Uh, maybe at work, I can't do that all the time, but I can definitely come home and study stuff and write notes and things like that. But uh, when I do run into problems, uh, it's interesting because I think I have a certain way of Googling stuff. I get to just, like, find the answers, and I think it's because how you mentioned earlier, we did have a, a in last month program, we did have an offline repository of a Stack Overflow, but that only lasted to June 2016. Uh, yeah, June 2016. And I joined the program in like September. So, like, you, you find ways to like look up stuff and things like that. Wow. Yeah. And even as you say, the modules is interesting. If you, it's not part of your cached module pool for Node, 
like you don't get to use that library that parses strings or talks to this sort of database. Like you just have, you have what you have, which sometimes constraints are freeing, at least in my, where I think it's sometimes you're more creative when you have to work within constraints. But at the same time, I'm sure there's times where you just wanted to solve the problem with the easy way and you couldn't use the easy way. Yes, definitely. I remember one time me and a, a friend in the last mile, we actually needed a node module and the node module, it wasn't even that big. Like it was literally like one, like 3000 line file. And then me and this guy, like literally it took like two days of class time because we were able to get a printout of the node module and we just like copied it. We just like had to hand type it in like the 3000 lines of code. was like, oh man. Wow. Yeah. So Tell us a little bit about when you exited the program. So you got out, your sentence was done, you finished the last mile. Was that it? Then did they kind of also steer you towards something else? I think you you told me you, you got into a coding boot camp. Can you tell us kind of what was the first things you were doing when you were finished? Oh, uh, yeah. So uh, I actually finished my sentence October 26th last year. So uh, when I got out on October 30th, because I was like making phone calls and things, on October 30th, I had an interview for a, boot, a web development bootcamp called General Assembly. So uh, I went there and I did an interview. Like, I don't really have nothing because, you know, I didn't have code from out here. I'm four days out. What I did have, though, was screenshots of my capstone project from last month because each, each track, like, you have to, like, the track culminates in, like, a final capstone project. So I just literally had printouts of the, the projects that I did inside, and I took those to my my interview. Oh, that's that makes sense. That's that's clever. That would that would be fun to uh, uh, show up with printouts <laughs> at, at an interview. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you can't have a GitHub repo, I'm sure. So it's not like I can't just point people to my source code. So that's the the one creative way to show your show your portfolio. So it's at least it's good you were able to do that. At least that's great. Yeah, I, I had to do something, and and it was good that. One of my projects was actually, uh, since I knew I was getting out, my second capstone project, I actually did a, a like a web development portfolio, and I just threw all types of projects in it. So, like, they got pictures of that. And you you said you were in the program for, remind me, a year or two? How long were you in the last mile before you were out? Uh, I was in the program from 2016 to, like, like September 2016 to September 2018. Mind you, we had like, uh, you know, it, it is prison, things happen. So we had like a few months off in there, a few weeks and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, it was mostly continuous that whole time. I think you had told me that was something that, you know, it was a big part of your day too, right? I mean, it wasn't like 30 minutes a day. This was a big portion of your day and something you looked forward to. Oh, yeah, it was uh, definitely a big portion of our day. I can definitely say like mostly everyone in the program, you know, like once you get in the program, it takes a little while, but. But like that first week, that's how you're thinking about like you're dreaming about code. Like you're waking up at three in the morning, writing stuff down, and like it's just like real sad. And like you wake up and they're like, "Oh, no class today." <laughs> wow, and it was. I think you you said this was three, four, five hours a day, wasn't it? So you probably have more coding training than I do after twenty years in this business. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's like a six six hours a day. Six hours a day for a couple of years on or off. That, that's amazing. Okay. So then you did the boot camp, right? So you were in general oh, assembly. Cool. And then tell us kind of how in the world did you bump into Pivotal? Oh, wow. So uh, October 30th, I had my interview with uh, general assembly. Uh, it took about like seven days. Uh, I got a, a call back from them saying I was accepted 
program, and uh, they mentioned that I needed a Mac, a MacBook, and I actually didn't have a MacBook. But uh, before I got out, my wife bought me a laptop, but it wasn't a MacBook, and I couldn't really do like a lot of the code stuff on it. So I actually reached out to the last mile to see if they had uh, any like MacBooks or anything like that, and they actually were they were looking for someone to donate a laptop to me. And they actually found this amazing woman. And when I went to go meet her to pick up the laptop, like she's like, oh yeah, just meet me at my office. It's right here in Santa Monica. So I went out there, never having like ever heard of Pivotal or anything like that. I went in and she just showed me around the place and it was, it was amazing. It was actually my first tech company I ever stepped into. Uh, <laughs> just make a note of that. Oh, and then you came to the, you came to, uh, one of them with all the, uh, the, the free snacks. Yeah, the Santa Monica, areas. right? Yeah, yeah, it'd be very nice. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a good first oh, experience. Oh. <laughs> and it's right by the beach. I mean, man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, uh, I got a, I got a, ended up getting a laptop from this woman at Pivotal, and then like we went off to learn. She was talking to me about uh, my experience in the last month program. Uh, even she I heard that I was going to the boot camp and things like that. And the next thing I know, a couple weeks later. Uh, she emails me and she's like, hey, send your resume to this guy. And, and I didn't even know what it was for. I just, I just sent, I just sent the resume out like, okay. <laughs> and how, how, how long ago was that? Uh, wow. So I actually met her in December of 2018. Mm. Uh, I sent my resume, I think, in January of 2019. And then I had a, a interview. Pivotal for an intern position, which I uh, passed the first round of interviews, went to the second round, and then my intern for the summer at Pivotal Labs in Santa Monica. All right, so it's been like a, like a, a year total since process. Yeah, and then more or less. And then after your internship, that we we offered you your full time. So you're a full time engineer in Pivotal Labs, right? I did get an internship, and uh, at the end of it, I did get a full time offer, which I readily accepted. <laughs> Awesome. So, and you've, yeah, you've done some some good projects so far and things like that. I mean, would you look back at all this? Have you kept in touch with any of your last mile kind of colleagues and, and kind of shared your progress with them? Uh, yes. Uh, like, there's about, like, probably over 70 last mile alumni out on the street. I'm in contact with some of them. Um, and even people still locked up inside. Uh, I'm in contact with them uh, as far as like shooting books and resources, any cool technologies I hear about. I'm like, hey, you know, try to get them to think about it because some are getting out. Well, I'm sure there's it's inspiring. Really yeah, there's some really good coders out there, you know. They're yeah. like, oh, you got to have, oh, you got this, you know. Just trying to see what I'm doing, see what's out here. Trying to get them ready for when they come out too. So, so what, one, of the, one of the things I, uh, I, I talk with people a lot, or I should say I talk with them, they they uh they they get all uppity about is like we have all these uh existing programmers uh and we want to do we want it's it's hard for us to basically train them in a new way of doing development or uh do doing whatever doing releases more frequently or whatever the case may be and and like what 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 were like like some when when you started working at Pivotal like uh I imagine it was slightly different than the the programming you'd done two times before back in the RPG times and, uh, at, and, uh, at last mile. But like, how do you, 
I don't know. What, what, what could you like tell these people about like, uh, it's actually okay <laughs> to, to, to retrain people to do programming? Like, like, how did you kind of set up a curriculum for yourself to like, just like learn new methods of doing things as, as they came along? Oh, wow. Well, I don't know if my method is recommended, but yeah, uh, when I came into Pivotal Labs, it was definitely, it was definitely an experience. Like I came in, you know, as an intern and as an intern, like you're just treated like, you know, regular software engineer, you're thrown on a project, only different pay, you know, uh, I get on the project <laughs> and we right. have, we like, literally we didn't have Colin, like prior to me starting, they're like, oh, learn Colin, Java, so I'm like studying all this stuff. And we get on, we had TypeScript, which I've done JavaScript, but I haven't done TypeScript before. Mm. And there was like a lot of generics and stuff that I like, was like, whoa, what, what is that right there? So like I, like, I took the approach as like, when I see something I don't understand, I wrote it down and I like literally went home at night and I just like studied until I understood it, or at least understood enough of it. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to have some uh, curiosity, I guess. And and it seems like that, that's the, the, the thing I'm always thinking about, like uh, making sure staff and or people are kind of keeping their skills updated is uh, in general, it seems like people who are programmers, they were originally curious about programming and interested in learning new things. So it's almost like you've got to uh, set up that environment where they're given the chance to chase down their curiosities and uh, and kind of like you were describing, like, dangle confusing mysteries in front of them like like what generics are so that they can go solve <laughs> but do you feel i mean so it's great i'm glad you brought up cote because we saw that at spring one with the home depot talking about their program of just kind of offering coding boot camps to employees and things like that did you notice demetrius even in the last mile program people who were completely new to programming and found it intimidating is there something that helps them get over that and said yep anybody with a you know sharp mind and, and curiosity can be great at programming. Did you experience, did you see people who were a little scared getting started and then really figured it out? Oh, yes. Like, uh, in last mile, the facility I was in, we definitely had people who were new to programming. We had people that were, like, had been locked up for a long time that were actually new to computers. So, like, they had, like, twofold to learn. So, but, uh, yeah, it's just, like, stick to it. Uh, they studied and just like kept going like it didn't really get to them that it was taking a while some people pick up stuff like faster than others like like you're good at just keep going you know absolutely but it's a, it's a good hopefully you know your story as well as you know other folks in that situation it's, it's cool that there's a lot of us who aren't traditional programmers right and again i'm a political science major who pretend to be a developer now and a marketer so everyone comes from different <laughs> backgrounds for this stuff and I think it's pretty cool that you don't have to have been building operating systems from age four to get into programming. Like a lot of people can do this for fun, for whatever. And even if it's a little scary, you're, you're showing that, hey, people even in, in kind of constrained environments with offline access and certain things can, can be super successful with it. So, I mean, that's, I don't know, that's really inspiring to me. Oh, yeah, it, it is. It really is. So, so as promised, back to the role-playing games. That you mentioned earlier. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, let's so, get back to the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, so to, uh, af, after all this time, do you still uh, program role playing game things? Is that is that something that uh, you, you you play around with still? Oh, when I got out, I did for like a while. I'm about to actually get back into it. I had to actually take a little break to program a couple of new languages. So, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, but to, I'm uh, about to get back into it. 
uh, and use the stuff I've learned. So, <laughs> and and so like like what what kind of what what kind of games are you planning on, on making? Like, are you gonna do you program them or do you play like uh, tabletop ones or like what are what are the games? Oh, actually, just like I like programming a two D or things like old school Zelda, you know, like uh-huh. top down RPG. Oh yeah, yeah. I never really got into a three D game, but that's because I can't use graphics programs to save my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, yeah. That 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 sounds like it's fun. Well, we'll have to. Uh, you you'll have to send over when once you get you get some programmed up. I'll have to check them out. That, that that'll be uh, fun. I'll, I'll definitely send the, send you a link. You, you know, after you've learned uh, all, you know, about whatever generics are and uh, oh. how, how, to, how to program things better, I'm sure the gameplay is going to be phenomenal after that. You're not constrained to just visual basic. The, the, yeah. the, the world, the world will be your tops down oyster. Every, everything will look great. Well, uh, well, thanks, thanks for being on. I, it was, uh, it was. Uh, it was good, uh, good talking with you. And also, now I have some games to look forward to. Do you have a? Uh, if people wanted to, like, do you have like a, a Twitter account or anything like that that people could uh, check up on if they're interested in more? Oh, Twitter account? No, actually, I don't. So you just have to, they'll just have to I'm, search you on the internet for GitHub or other spots to uh, to follow you yeah, online. I'm, I'm, a, I'm on LinkedIn, Demetrius Robinson. That's D-E-M-E-T-R-I-O-U-S. You can find me there and my contact information. Awesome. That's the that's the common denominator most everyone always has. That's right. There's always that. All right. Well, uh, well great. Well, thanks again. And uh, as always, this has been Pivotal conversations if you want to get this episode and all the other ones you want to download them directly you can go to soundcloud.com slash pivotal conversations and also uh usually every thursday when we have an episode or i should say thursdays when we have an episode uh you can find it at pivotal.io slash podcast and with that we'll see everyone next time bye bye